Uh, this is a continuation of his series. He's letting me uh, kind of pinch hit here. So uh, exposing the lie. And uh, as you see here, this is part of the series. And we're going to talk about the lie that Satan sometimes tries to um, put, integrate into our heart that is simply this. Life must be fair. It's a very pervasive lie, and I want to start out by simply uh, sharing with you how one time I fell for it. I was in my late 20s. I was um, aspiring to a certain staff position in a very large, growing church. And when you're in your late 20s and this is, you know, you're in this mode, man, it's really important to you. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of a career thing, you know, like uh, in the business world. So it's, it's big to you. And um, the senior pastor of the church was totally for me. But it was the kind of church that had kind of a democratic process of deciding things. So they invited about 50 or 60 people into a home to meet with him and me and, and, and a couple other leaders to uh, talk about what they thought of me joining the staff. And uh, it was going really well. And I was feeling kind of, you know, pumped up. Like, Lord, yes, Lord, yes. And then all of a sudden it went south. Um, you know how those kind of meetings go where everybody gets a chance to talk? Um, and so a few people spoke out boldly against me. Keyword, boldly. Keyword, against. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, no, what's going on here? And I was stunned because not only did they speak out against me getting this position for different reasons that I never even imagined, uh, I considered these few people my friends. So I was hurt. In fact, I remember standing around after the meeting. You know, you're supposed to be fellowshipping and stuff. No, <laughs> I was fellowshipping with myself. <laughs> I was hurt. I remember going home hurt. I remember going to bed hurt. I remember getting up hurt. I remember being hurt all day long the next day until the senior pastor came to our house and he was much older and wiser than me. And um, he knew that those comments by those few who were friends were insensitive at best. And, um, but he had the courage to look me in the eye in my office, in my home, and say, stop doing that to yourself. Stop doing that to yourself. See, he knew, he, he, he knew, he had enough experiences that he knew life is not fair. Life is not fair. And he wanted me to latch on to that truth because I was giving in to the imperative lie of the enemy that life must be fair. And if you've lived for any length of time, you probably know life is not fair. Life does not treat us exactly, you know, like in direct proportion to one another. This experience was just so, so um, pivotal for me because my feelings immediately changed when he spoke the truth to me and it crystallized in my spirit. You know how that happens? And it's like, boom, okay, I get it. Because you don't know what you don't know, but when somebody speaks the truth into you like that, you know, and you're freed. 
And then secondly, I was able to forgive those friends. And thirdly, um, I was asked to take the staff position. But the most important thing out of all of that was that I learned a lot that day about not allowing people to have power over my life. Not allowing people to have power over my life. God never said, will you make sure that you let people have power over your life? In other words, I, you, we're the only people that can allow ourselves to be miserable, to wallow in our feelings. It's okay to be hurt because some things do sting, but it's not okay to stay hurt. It's okay sometimes to be angry because we care about something. Maybe it's a child or a ministry or something, but it's not okay to stay angry. Ephesians 4.26. It's okay to be afraid or, or nervous, but not to stay afraid or nervous. The only way that we stay there is if we buy into Satan's lie and we become miserable because we latch on to that falsehood, that life must be fair. And when we insist before God, that life must be a certain way, then we're, we're going to be in a bad way. Now today we're going to look at a parable about accountability. But I want to center in on just one thing, and it's a lie that one of the characters in the uh, parable believed, which left him spiritually vulnerable, and that's the lie that life must be fair. So uh, this is a little lengthy, so I'm going to read it. And... Um, it's Matthew 25, 14 to 30, and you can follow along there. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey, and the man who received five went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also... The one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Well, the man with two talents also came, and master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with, two, with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. So then when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. 
For everyone who has will be given more and will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Each parable in the scripture describes the kingdom of God, teaching us how Jesus wants to build into us his rule in reign, establishing his jurisdiction, his dominion, as Aaron used that word uh, a few Sundays back about the kingdom, his dominion in our heart. Well, here the three servants were given different amounts of money, the five, the two, and they invested and they were rewarded. But the third servant received one and he hid his talent. Why? It's very obvious. He received less. He received less. So he blamed his master as unkind. I knew, I knew you were a hard man. See, the lie, life must be fair, was at the root of his perceptions. And it was the motive for his disobedience. This wasn't fair. Well, life is not fair. God never promised that life would be fair. Here, he gave out different amounts of money. That was not fair. Fairness, cutting life into perfectly equal segments, like trying to do pumpkin pie, you know, in perfect pieces for your kids. It just doesn't work. It does not work. Here, the goal is not perfectly equal proportions. It is responsibility with whatever you receive. If you look just down uh, in Matthew 25 a little further to the next parable, you see a parable that exhorts us to caring for the poor and disadvantaged. You're probably familiar with this uh, paragraph. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Notice it doesn't say every Christian needs to respond to the poor in the same way. Neither does it say that we should spend the exact same amount of money from family to family to give to the poor. It's not a matter of equality or evenness. The kingdom of God is not about fairness. It's about faithfulness. So, I have a question for you. Are you ready to hear the kingdom principle that will set you free from the lie that life must be fair? All right, let me ask that again. Because Sean and one other person, or we might just have a small group meeting right here. So are you ready to hear the kingdom principle that will set you free from the lie that life must be fair? Yes. Oh, yes. Thank you. All right. So here it is. God loves us all equally and treats us all differently. God loves us all totally and treats us all uniquely. God loves us all perfectly and treats us all creatively. God loves us all unconditionally and treats us all sovereignly. If you want to just take the the first line, that, that should suffice. 
if you're taking notes. God loves us all equally and treats us all differently. Consider your children. Do you love them all the same? Of course. Do you treat them all the same? Of course not. Of course not. Let me give you an example from my family. We have three children. Bethany is our oldest. Uh, when she was a little girl, um, she just was in love with words. And as she grew, she became um, impassioned about languages. So I remember Bev, for example, going out and buying every Bible in a foreign language that she could find and giving it to Bethany at you know, a birthday or Christmas or wherever, whenever. And um, not surprisingly, she graduated from college with a language and linguistics degree. Now we'll go to Joelle, our second. She's a singer and a worship leader. She can actually sing in all, in all kinds of languages, but after taking Spanish for three years, she can only speak one word in Spanish. Hola. <laughs> Hola. She knocks on the door and comes in, Hola. So that's what we got out of her high school education. Hola. Anyway, um, so one Christmas, since she is a singer and a worship leader and not a language person like Bethany, different, right? So we invested in what she was about. And we bought her a really expensive keyboard. And I don't know if you understand, uh, these keyboards can be really expensive. And we got her a really, really good one because she was a vocal music major and she had to accompany herself hours and hours and hours a day. And then she was leading worship in a, in a, a worship service on campus. And, you know, we, we didn't spend that kind of money usually. And I don't, we never heard from Bethany or Micah what they thought about that. <laughs> they got ripped off that Christmas. But, um, you know, we treated her differently than we treated our other kids based on their abilities, who they were, how God wired them. And then our last child, Micah, has had a love for sports. I mean, you know, from the time he was a little boy, he was kicking soccer balls into the closet, um, closet doors and, you know, carrying on in the house. Everything was about balls, so we bought him balls and bats and tennis rackets. And then we bought him more balls and more bats and more tennis rackets. And then, you, you know, it just went on and on. Well, he ended up uh, getting an athletic scholarship to college. So we were investing in our children in different ways based on the way God made them. Different abilities, different personalities, different passions. We didn't treat them the same. We loved them equally, but we treated them differently. Like God, we, we try to see what is in them, how, how the Lord wired them, and then foster that. So really, if you think about it, you need to treat your kids differently so they can be the person God made them to be because we're all unique. Now let's take that a step further because God not only treats person to person differently, but he also treats you and me as individuals differently at different times in our life. If you put it in very simplistic terms, when we obey, he affirms us. When we disobey, he corrects us. So God deals with us differently according to the way that we are at that time. So the, the underlying 
principle, which I think is very important to grab hold of, is that God's love never changes, but the way he loves us changes as we change. God's love never changes. He loves us totally. But the way he loves us changes as we change. He loved, if he loved us the same all the time, in the same manner, where would where would be walking by faith? Where would be those encouragements and exhortations from Scripture? We could just throw them out because we knew, well, Jesus is going to love us just like this, just like this. But it's a creative Christian life, and God knows how we need to be loved at any given point in time. Now, in those, in those times, or in these times, when we get less, like the third servant, when we get less, that's when it's difficult. That's when we're tempted to believe the lie, life must be fair, which creates a victim mentality, a victim mentality. Let me, let me, let me make up a story to help you see how how this, how this goes. Okay, so let's, let's just imagine 25 years ago. Okay, so flip back to the Chicago Bulls. 25 years ago. Some of you can do that. Um, <laughs> and um, let's say it's the seventh game of the NBA championship. And there's five seconds to play. The Chicago Bulls are down by one point. They have the ball at half court. Oh, it's, it's awesome. You know, millions of people watching on TV. And so Co- Coach Phil Jackson calls a timeout, and he calls the team around him. The fans are going crazy, 20,000 people. They're yelling and screaming. Phil Jackson is Xing. He's owing. He's all over that little whiteboard calling plays. And, uh, but everybody in the building knows what's going to happen. Michael Jordan will get the ball. And he will make the last shot that will determine the world championship. The fans know it. The opposition knows it. His whole team knows it. The announcers know it. The whole world on TV knows it. Michael Jordan will get the ball. But let's say one of the players on the Bulls slips over after the timeout and the play is called and said, Coach, Coach Jackson... Um, can I say something? And Jackson said, well, yeah, real quickly. And he says, well, my feelings are hurt. I, I don't think you're being fair. I have a check in my spirit about this play. I think it's my turn to have the ball. Jackson says, well, why do you think it's your turn? He says, well, Michael's already shot the ball 29 times. And I've only shot it three times, coach, three times. What do you think Phil Jackson would do besides maybe deck him right there? (laughs) He'd be benched immediately. You think he would say, oh, I'm I'm really sorry. I I hurt your feelings. You know, I've been really tired lately. And... I I may be insensitive. So could you find it in your heart to forgive me? 
Would he turn to MJ and say, Michael, listen, um, you take the ball out of bounds. It's his turn to shoot. You see how silly that is? God is not interested in making things even. He's interested in loving you perfectly and uniquely. And when we play the victim role and insist that life must be fair, relationships suffer. Relationships suffer. Not only do you suffer, but relationships suffer. It disrupts a team. It disrupts a marriage. It disrupts an entire family. It disrupts a small group. It disrupts your office. It disrupts your classroom. It disrupts your dormitory. It disrupts your ministry team. It disrupts your church. Be careful of the lie that life must be fair. Stop comparing. There were different servants. There were different abilities. There were different talents. There were different responses. There were different rewards. God's not interested in making things even. He's interested in being who he is, the sovereign God who rules over the world, who knows you better than you know yourself, and therefore he can love you with a love that's so creative that it's humanly incomprehensible. Are you willing to submit to that kind of wonderful God? Well, I want us to look at a correlating passage in John 21. Notice when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? What are these? These were the fish that Peter caught. Uh, remember, he had denied Jesus three times before the crucifixion and later returned to the fishing business after, after Jesus was crucified. Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then he said to him, follow me. Well, Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John the Beloved, was following them. John and Jesus were the closest of all the, the disciples. This is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Look, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? What about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. You see, Peter denied Jesus three times previous to the crucifixion. Now it's after the resurrection, and Jesus is trying to reinstate Peter. And corresponding to the number of denials, Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? It was a full restoration. Jesus was going the full measure to bring Peter back as a disciple and an apostle. But Peter didn't like the way Jesus was restoring him. 
Jesus offering utmost compassion, but Peter responding with utmost audacity. In essence, Peter was saying, Jesus, I don't really like the way that you're loving me. (laughs) I don't really like the way you're treating me. This just doesn't seem fair. Moreover, something else happens, and this returns us to the theme of the parable of the talents. Peter turned and saw John the Beloved, and he asked, what about him? We've got to stop saying, what about him? We've got to stop saying, well, what about her? We've got to stop saying, well, why, why God, are you treating them like that? And you're treating me like this. What are we saying? Life must be fair. And we're creating the potential for all kinds of individual and relational problems. So Jesus, so Jesus answered Peter, if I want him to remain here until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. Stop comparing yourself to others. God treats people Differently, and we need to get out of his way. He knows how to love John, and he knows how to love Peter. He knows how to love Joe, and he knows how to love Sally. He knows how to love. Get out of his way. Let him love people the way that he wants to love them. This attitude of life must be fair generates self-victimization. And we could sum it up with, it's an attitude of poor me. Right? Poor me. Poor me. I got less. I got one. And you know, whenever there's a poor me, there's a bad you. In the parable, it was the master. I knew that you were unkind. Sometimes we blame God. We blame God. You're unfair, God. Didn't you know life must be fair? (laughs) Often the bad you is someone whose words or actions hurt us. And that's where we need to put on forbearance and forgiveness. And not let the person who spoke those words or did that action have power over us. We put our focus on God's kingdom which is faithfulness, not fairness, whether we have five, two, or one. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and the prayer team as well, if you would, please. The lie, life must be fair, is so pervasive. It can, it can tempt us, Satan can tempt us with this lie Almost every day. Because our world, it's so 
um, inculcated in the world's value system. Every time we turn around, there's potentially a temptation to see that we have less than someone else, whether it's something physical, material, spiritual, ministerial, whatever. So I want to issue an invitation to shake loose from that lie, life must be fair. God's a good father. And we're going to sing that song, Good, Good Father. And while we sing it, I want to encourage you to consider coming up for prayer regarding this theme and this message or any other need that you might have. And if you don't know this God who loves us perfectly and uniquely, these folks would be glad to introduce you to him and to lead you into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Your life will never be the same. Let's worship and stand please and come down for prayer as you have need.